it's the great pumpkin, Charlie Brown. You've seen that special that comes on around Halloween each year. Uh, it's where Linus, uh, one of Charlie Brown's friends, uh, is trying to tell everybody the good news about the great pumpkin. The great pumpkin who comes to one, the most sincere pumpkin patch each year and hands out uh, toys and candy uh, to the, the children who are waiting there and hoping for him. And as he shares uh, this, this message of the good news of the great pumpkin and of, of, of his coming, he's met with mocking. He's met with ridicule. As he's told by Charlie Brown, as he's told by his sister uh, uh, Lucy, uh, that uh, the great pumpkin's not coming. You're a fool. You believe in things like that? He's not coming. Uh, Linus holds to his, uh, his beliefs and he invites uh, Sally to come to the pumpkin patch with him because she has eyes only for Linus. She comes along and she begins to believe uh, what Linus has told her about the coming of the great pumpkin. And they wait and they wait while everybody else, they've, they've set aside certain things that everybody else is enjoying because they have their focus and their hope and their waiting is for the great pumpkin. So they are missing out on tricks or treats, which is what they called it during Charlie Brown's time, apparently. It wasn't trick or treat, it was tricks or treats. They're missing out on the Halloween party. And they're mocked and ridiculed. They even take time to come by the pump, pumpkin patch and laugh at them for their waiting for someone who's never coming. In the end, uh, Linus and Sally see something rising up out of the great pumpkin patch. And it's not the great pumpkin. It's Snoopy. And because he hasn't come when they thought that he was coming, because they waited, and the waiting seems like it's going to be much longer, Sally gets angry at Linus. She says, how dare you give me these promises? I've put aside so much. I've put aside other good things that I wanted to enjoy and participate in. Tricks or treats, Halloween party. And I'm here, I've wasted my time. I've given up these good things to wait for the great pumpkin to come. And he hasn't shown up when I expected him to come. Now, this is just a made-up story. It's a myth. There is no great pumpkin. Sorry to ruin it for you who are planting your sincere pumpkin patch in your backyard. And we're going to wait for him this, uh, this uh, Halloween. Uh, but, but the response that can sometimes come of waiting and waiting for Jesus, who has promised that he is returning. And we look back through history to when these, these promises were first given. And God's people have been waiting a long time. They've been sitting around in the pumpkin patch. Waiting and wondering and hoping for Christ to come. They've invited and told other people about the good news of the return of Christ when he comes. And some, due to the wait, due to realizing I must forego and put other things aside to hope and rest and depend and to trust on Christ, may get tired of waiting. They may even begin to, to mock and ridicule and say, he's not coming. We've waited too long. Or to say, why are you waiting on, on a myth? Jesus is never returning. Or to say, it, it, it's not worth giving up all these other things that you must put aside, enjoying life in this world, while you wait on Christ to come. You see, that's what was happening in Peter's time. To the churches that he's writing to, 
false teachers had come in. And because of the delay in Christ's return, uh, because he hadn't come, they began to, to say he's not coming. This is made up. Jesus isn't coming back. There's not going to be any judgment. You can live your life however you want to live as they uh, uh, spread around this false teaching. And Peter is writing to them to remind them and to encourage them and to point them to the truth that Jesus is, is coming, to point them to the realities of his return and the importance for them to wait and to respond appropriately to the truth that Christ is coming back. So together, we too want to be reminded and encouraged and see this as we continue to wait. Wait for Jesus to come. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 3 this morning. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 13 of Second Peter chapter 3. If you're following along in one of the black Bibles there in your seats, this is on page 1019. Uh, so if you would, please uh, look with me in your copy of God's Word as we hear from our God this morning. Now this, this is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by that same word the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for, uh, for your word. We thank you that you've revealed yourself to us in the scriptures. We pray and ask this morning that you would continue to do that. That you would use 
these words from your apostle to stir up our hearts that we might hope and cling to Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Uh, notice, notice what Peter says, what he's seeking to do with this letter and the other letter that he's written to, to, to these folks. In verse 1, that he's seeking to stir them up by way of reminder that they would remember. Remember what? Well, notice what he says. The predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through the apostles. Remember what Peter has already told us. The view of Jesus, the view of the scriptures, is that the Bible is the word of God. These aren't made up uh, man-made stories or myths or legends. Charles Schultz of the uh, B.C. Charles Schultz didn't just kind of write and make up these things. This is the word of God. We can trust what is written in here as it's been passed down and superintended by the Holy Spirit for God's people. These predictions that have always been given of the coming one who would come and return and make all things right. Of what Jesus said and spoke to his apostles, to his people, we can trust and know that Jesus is coming, Peter says. There are going to be scoffers, he tells us in verses 3 and 4, who doubt and question his coming. Where is his coming? How long have you been waiting for Jesus? Where is he? I don't see him. He's not coming. You're a fool to believe in that. Live your life the way you want. Indulge in these passions. Throw off his constraining rules. No, Peter says, remember, Jesus has promised, God has promised, he is coming. So that's what we want to look at this morning. What about this coming? Does Peter want us to remember and to know? We want to look at two things. One, uh, that when Jesus returns, it's going to be bad. And when Jesus returns, it's going to be good. So let's first look at the bad news. Look, uh, look in verse, verse 5. These false teachers are questioning the return of Jesus as if there's not going to be any sort of judgment. As if uh, God, God isn't going to fulfill his promises to come and make all things right. Notice what, what he says in verse 5. They, these false teachers, these scoffers, these who doubt in Christ's return, they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the water was formed uh, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. So one notice, Peter believes that it is historical and it is true and it is fact that the God of the Bible created all things by his word. It's not accidental. The account we have in Genesis tells us that God created. And he tells us in verse 6, that by means of these, water and his word, the world that, was then, that then existed was deluged with water and perished. Peter says, you, you, you doubt the fact that God will, will judge? You doubt the fact that God will keep his promises to come and do something? Let's look back and see how God has responded in the past. Let's look and see, historically, Jesus and Peter here, we're going to look at something Jesus says later, believe that Noah and the flood actually happened. This wasn't something that was just made up so that you could decorate your nursery. God judged the world through flood. 
And Peter says, you doubt the coming judgment of God? You doubt what will happen when Jesus returns? Let's just look back and see how God has responded in the past. And notice what he says. This is the, the paradigm, the pattern for how God will respond to the ongoing rebellion in our world. Just as he judged the, the world that, that, that was in the time of Noah with water, what does he say is going to happen? In verse 7, he says, But the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist, are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Peter says, know for sure. These predictions, these promises that Jesus gave are sure and true. He's coming back. And when he comes back, just as God at one point judged the world with water, when Jesus returns, he is coming and he is bringing the judgment of fire, he says. One that will, notice, he says at the end of verse 7, that it will be a day of judgment and destruction. Judgment and destruction of who? Notice what he says, the ungodly. Those who reject Christ. Those who persist in their rebellion. To, to, to refuse to turn from their sin and to hope and rest in Jesus as the true King, as the true Savior. When he comes back, it isn't just a good teacher who's showing back up. It's not just a moral revolutionary. It is the ruler and king of all things who created all things with his word. And when he returns, those who continue in rebellion against him, he will judge and it will not be pretty, Peter says. He may have delayed at this point, but no, he is coming and it will not be pretty. The language that he describes there, he uses fire to describe what is happening. But as he continues to go on, he brings up more of this, uh, this horrific, uh, catastrophic language. Ver look in verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are on it will be uh, will be exposed. And he continues on down in verse 12. Because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. As, uh, as, as Peter is, is speaking and describing here of what the return of Jesus will be like, it will be bad for some. There is no getting around this. This is the clear teaching of Scripture. And in case you're thinking, well, Peter's just altered and changed this teaching. The Jesus I know, the Jesus I believe in, would never speak in these kind of terms. Jesus was a man of, of love and goodness and kindness. He would never speak about judgment and destruction of the ungodly. If you want to, flip over to Matthew chapter 24. This is Jesus talking. Listen to what Jesus said, beginning in, in verse 36 of Matthew 24. 
But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. And here goes Jesus. For as were the days of Noah, so Jesus also believing Noah actually happened, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. That's how Jesus liked to refer to himself. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be in the field and one will be taken and left. Two will be grinding the mill and one will be taken and left. Therefore, stay awake for you do not know when the Lord is coming. Some understand this to talk about uh, wrongly something called the rapture. As if when Jesus comes, his believers are going to disappear. No, what Jesus is talking about here, the ones who, who are taken are those who are taken and wiped away in judgment. Those who remain are those who have their faith and their hope and their trust in Jesus. The return of Christ will be devastating. He will bring fire and judgment and destruction. Uh, and some people even think that when Jesus returns, that, all right, so he just sends like some napalm or a firebomb, and then we're all gone, and then I cease to exist. What's so bad about that? No, Jesus continues to go on. And at the end of, uh, uh, of chapter 25, he describes it like this in when he returns, beginning in verse 45. Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these, those who reject him, who fail to follow him, who fail to trust and hope in Christ, will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. These are the words of Jesus. This burning, this destruction, this fire, this punishment, will happen forever. If we rebel against the infinitely holy and just and good God, the result will be an equal and fair punishment, which will be eternal judgment and separation from Him. Uh, Back in 2018, Hurricane Florence, remember, came and hit. They they thought it was going to come up and hit uh, Elizabeth City. We were beginning to be prepared for that. But at the last moment, it decided to, uh, to hit down in the Wilmington area. Um, uh, and as the, as the hurricane came, it was only a Category 1. My thinking in the past, I think, oh, only a Category 1? I don't need to worry about that. Well, Newburn will tell you differently. Because as Florence came, that Category 1 brought devastation to Newburn and to Wilmington dumping over 20 inches of rain, and due to the rain coming and uh, the, 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 the tidal surge and the storm surge, uh, water rose down there in some places 10 feet above normal. Uh, as, as the news was reporting, uh, reporters here were beginning, and, and the emergency management people here were beginning to tell our community, we need to be prepared. We need to take notice of how bad it was in Newburn, We need to take notice and be aware of the destruction that happened there. It happened in the past. It could happen here. They produced storm maps and storm surge estimates. 
if that type of hurricane hit here and, and the levels rose 10 feet, most of downtown would be underwater, some of the businesses under five feet of water. We might would even be flooded here. Are we going to be prepared? How do we respond? When we see of the bad news that happened in the past and the destruction that came, what they're encouraging us to do is take note of the destruction in the past and prepare for the future because you don't know a hurricane could hit Elizabeth City just like that. If we're wise, that's what we would do. We'd be prepared and think, if that's coming this way, it's probably a good idea for me not to stay around and think I'll just uh, tough it out on Church Street. It's a possibility a hurricane could hit here. Not sure. Guess what is not a possibility? Guess what is 100% absolutely sure, Peter says? Jesus is coming back. The king and ruler of all things is returning. And the right response when you see God's judgment in the past and the devastation and the pain and the brokenness that came from it and realizing that when he comes, that will be the result for all who continue to rebel against him, you should prepare. Prepared. You should respond appropriately. What is the response? Well, notice what Peter says. This delay. It really shouldn't be something that you mock and say, well, where is he? Why isn't he coming back? You know why he's not coming back yet? Because he's gracious. Because he's kind. Because he's merciful. You know, when we deserve this judgment of fire and devastation, the moment Adam and Eve sinned. You know how many of us deserve this every moment and every second of our lives? I do. Every single one of you in here do. But it hasn't come yet. Why, Peter says. Well, look in verse 8. And this is what he tells us to not overlook. Don't miss this. With the Lord, a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. But he's patient towards you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a roar. God is being kind. God is being gracious. The response, he hasn't come yet, but he is coming. What is the appropriate response? To respond to his grace, to respond to his mercy, to learn what happened in the flood and say, I've rebelled against you, King Jesus. May you have mercy and grace upon me. And would you redeem and save me from what I deserve for my sin? The destruction is true, but hear the grace and the mercy of God as he appeals to you now. If you are not trusting in Christ, this will be the result. If you're already a believer here, would you hear this truth? This is what will happen to every single person who doesn't believe in Christ. Does that motivate you? Does it motivate me to share the good news and the hope of deliverance and salvation to my neighbors, to my family members, to the person you work with, 
it will be bad. It will be horrific when Jesus comes back. But there's hope. There's grace. There is mercy. Why? There is still time. Turn and hope in Christ. Peter also tells us that it's not, it's not just going to be bad. The sure return of Jesus will be bad. There will also be great things that happen. This can be confusing because sometimes we, we, we have a, a weird picture of what's going to happen. I don't, I don't know if you've watched any of the Star Wars movies. In the Star Wars movies, the, the evil empire, they're, they're, they're creating this super weapon. It has a different name because they seem to always like to create a super weapon that destroys things. Uh, but what, what the Death Star does, and others like it, is it explodes and annihilates entire planets, completely obliterating them and doing away with them entirely to where there's nothing left after the Death Star has done its work and its devastation. Some people think that what Peter is describing here is that Jesus, when he comes, is going to somehow have this, this holy death star that will completely annihilate and obliterate the entire planet Earth. But that's not the picture Peter has for us at all. You see, at our house, we have a brick sidewalk leading up to our house, and weeds like to grow in between the, the bricks. Now, you know one way I could get rid of the weeds in front of my house? I could take a stick of dynamite. <laughs> and I could put that stick of dynamite right in the middle of this path of, of weeds and bricks and light that thing and run. And boy, it'll blow up and it will take care of all of the weeds as well. It'll take care of all my bricks too. But I don't want to do that. I care about the bricks. I just wanted to get rid of the weeds. And so... I have this, a blowtorch <laughs> that I hook to a propane tank, and I can take fire, and with fire, I can burn away what I don't want, but leaving what I do. You see, fire isn't just destructive. Fire is purifying. Notice that's what Peter is saying here. The fire that Jesus brings isn't annihilating. It's purifying. Notice, we, we take our model back from the, the, pre, the first time of judgment with the flood. Notice what, what Peter says. It wasn't a water death star. Like there was some super soaker in the sky that blew up planet Earth. Notice what he says in verse 6. By means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But then look what he says in verse 7. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire. So there was the world that then existed, and there's the world that exists now. Did God completely annihilate, and when it talks about it perishing, completely just obliterate and blow away the first world, and it doesn't exist anymore, and he created something new? No. There's continuity. The world that Noah was walking around on prior to the flood was the very same exact world that he's walking on after the flood. What perished was, Peter, Peter's using figurative language to describe the, the judgment and the destruction that came, but it was the ungodly that perished. And just as he describes and he talks about 
there is a world that will come. He calls it the new heavens and the new earth. Does that mean that this fire that Peter is talking about is going to burn up and blow up this entire earth and God is going to start over scratch with a brand spanking new creation? No. The language that Peter uses there in verse 13, we are, uh, but according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth. That's the language of renewal, not something completely and totally new. In fact, Peter uses that same language, this melting, this burning, this dissolving. It's the language of, uh, of purification, of, of what uh, happens in a foundry when you're smelting and purifying gold. Uh, look in, uh, in verse 10. Uh, The day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. That language of exposed is is talking about purification of of that that process of, uh, of burning away that that is impure and exposing and leaving what is pure and good and holy that is left. What God is talking about here is this great work of renewal, of purification, of restoration that Jesus will do when he returns. How good will it be? It'll be better than it's ever been. Notice what he tells us in verse 13. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. You see what Peter is telling us here? The promise of when Jesus comes, the one that has been foretold and promised to us from the Old Testament on, that when he comes, he will purify all things. He will take away all the effects of sin, all the rebellion, all the pain, all the grief, all the wounds, all the tears, all the sickness, all that will dwell on this renewed and restored planet will be righteousness and godliness and holiness and goodness and peace. There will be no more death. There will be no more sin. The things that you, Christian, are struggling with will be gone. Why? Because righteousness will dwell here. Why will righteousness dwell here? Because the righteous one will dwell here. Jesus will renew and restore all things because he's making this planet fit for it to do and be what he intended it to be to begin with, where God would dwell here on this creation with his people in a relationship of love and trust and dependence and hope. And that is coming. Jesus is coming. And for those who are hoping and trusting in him, we will experience this renewal. We will experience this restoration and we will live here on this very planet, purified, cleansed by fire, but better and new than it even was in the beginning. What about that? Does it matter? Some may say, oh, that's going to happen in the future. It'll probably happen long after I die. So why does it matter how I live now? The end of the story doesn't really affect my life in the present. Oh no, Peter says. Remember, he's stirring us up by way of reminder that we might remember and know this. 
And notice what he says in verse 11. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? Peter says, what's happening at the end must, definitely, should affect how you live your life now. Christian, Jesus is doing a work where he will restore all things and righteousness will dwell here. That means we respond now by living a life in light of his promises, in light of his power, that demonstrates and shows to the watching world the kind of people God is redeeming us to be. That we would live out a life now that reflects fully redeemed, restored humanity. Living a life of godliness and holiness that reflects his character. Demonstrating the fact that, that the redemption of Jesus isn't just spiritual. That's too small. Jesus isn't going to give up this planet and say, Oh, Satan, you can have the material stuff. No. His is the redemption of, of the spiritual and the material. And our Christ is sufficient and enough to say, this is all mine. And I am renewing it all. And that hope, that, that promise of hope of living a renewed and restored and redeemed life here is for God's people. That's how good it will be. You can't imagine or comprehend how good life will be on this planet when Jesus is done with his renovation project. Does that motivate you? Does that motivate you now to live a life of godliness and holiness, prepared for and living in light of the future? Does it motivate you to want to invite your non-Christian friends to come and know the Christ who is sufficient and powerful enough to redeem and restore and uh, reconcile all things to himself? This is the good news of the gospel. He's coming. Jesus is coming back. If you don't know him, hear, hear the warning. Come to Christ. It will not go good for you. But hear his grace. Hear his call. The offer still extends. Hope in Jesus. Look to him and experience the blessing of knowing and being restored to your creator. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the good news of the gospel. We thank you that it isn't myth that we're following, but that Jesus is coming. The wait has been long. We pray that you would sustain and equip us to hold fast and remain faithful until you return. In Christ's name, amen.